0: Content warning, this series will discuss topics that may bring up painful experiences for you. Please take the time to surround yourself with good medicines. If need be, pause the playback and go for a walk, stretch, have a glass of water, and come back to the show when you feel comfortable. Welcome to the Métis Speaker Series. I'm your host, Darian Kovacs. On this podcast series, we will be exploring learning, healing and rebuilding within the Métis community. Our goal is to create awareness of and generate discussion about Métis issues. As well, as how to heal from and move forward in a healthy way. We hope to reduce Métis invisibility in BC through the personal stories from our Métis community members. This show is brought to you by Métis Nation BC and Jelly Marketing. Welcome to the Métis Speaker Series. I am so thrilled to introduce you to Justine. Justine, tell me about yourself.
1: Hello, I'm so thrilled to be here. I'm My name is Justine Dion-Gloa, Métis on the Dion side of my family from out in Winnipeg, as many of us are. Yeah, my grandfather was adopted out of his Métis family and into a white family, so it did take us a while to sort out our history, but over time we were able to do that. I'm a sister, a mom, a poet, a bead worker. I'm a lot of things.
0: That is incredible. I like that. I'm a lot of things. That's like a great (laughs) title in life. So I want to talk about your poetry. Sure. Let's start with there. Tell me about the poems that you do write. And more importantly, where do you draw inspiration for your poetry?
1: I think for the most part, my inspiration is really just, I hate to say it, but it is actually quite trauma-based at this point in Mm. my life. I've used poetry to heal, and I think that it's been a powerful tool in that process. I know that there are other folks out there that need to know that they're not alone as well, and so I guess in writing these more difficult, challenging poems, my hope is that uh, the people who need them will find them and maybe feel like they're not alone with the big, heavy stuff that they deal with day to day. And I mean, but I also draw inspiration from nature, and yeah, and I I joke often that one day everyone who loves my first book will hate my next one because it will be all happy poetry and there'll be no sad things left to write about but i feel like life might challenge me on that one so we'll see
0: so those that maybe you know think poetry and they think maybe like kind of like it's not for me or it's over there but would you say though like if if someone likes listening to like music and the lyrics and music uh, likes listening to hip hop music you know rap lyrics would those be all forms of poetry would you say
1: yeah, absolutely. I I think so. I know that in my own life, I did. Um, I was really involved in the music scene as a, a teenager and in my early twenties out in Winnipeg, um, constantly at local shows, uh, both like metal and hip hop shows, and I was in a few bands and as a lyricist, definitely. And that was a huge outlet for me. So absolutely, yeah. Music is music, lyrics, rap. That's all poetry to me as well.
0: Okay, so random for you, I was in Winnipeg and met a Winnipeg hip-hop artist named Fresh I.E. Okay. You
1: know this guy? I've, I've heard of. Okay. But um, I haven't lived in Winnipeg for quite some time. And so back okay. when I was in Winnipeg, it was like a different crew, right? Yes, um, yes.
0: So this was the 2000s, though. Kim, this is like early 2000s when I met Fresh I.E.
1: I had my first kid in 2006, so... okay pretty firmly out of any music scene by then, unfortunately. Yes, okay. But Yeah, I didn't get into hip-hop until later. You know, I was fortunate enough to see the DMCs with DJ Brace. That happened in Winnipeg. It was a great place for music in general. I was also fortunate enough to have um, a lot of time spent at the University of Manitoba's radio station. Yeah, hung out there a lot. That's and really cool. Everyone in my world was just really passionate about whatever music they
0: loved, so. Yeah. Wow, yeah. that's really cool. Yeah, a lot of great music came out of Winnipeg. Yeah, that's true. Which is which is which is really really cool. Freshie was the first Canadian rapper to get nominated for a Grammy Award. Actually, we got that's amazing. Twice. Yeah, out of Winnipeg. It's very cool. Today, would you be able to share a poem? Like, read a poem for us? Do you feel comfortable doing that? Yeah, absolutely. I I find I like reading poetry, but I mm-hmm. love hearing poets read their poetry.
1: That's fair. I think it gives. A lot more context when yeah. the, the, the poet's actually reading it. Because there's a lot that I'm trying to communicate with space and shapes, but I don't know if it always comes across
0: perfectly, obviously. So remember the, the Vancouver 2010 Olympics and yeah. our opening <laughs> ceremonies was a, what do you call that? Spoken word artist. Yes. Again, another yeah. form of poetry, correct?
1: Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So I guess if I had to pick one, I'll pick a poem called "Char." It's actually not included in the book that'll be coming out, but it's a more recent piece that I'm really happy with. So here it is: "Char," eleven ten to eleven forty a.m. Window open. Sound of weed whacker outside. Grass clippings blown in. Lots of wind. Wisps gentle. Zephyr coral sings the gospel. Grace's cheeks not yet turn cold. Serene. Pallid. Lips mute cerulean upturned hair short curled gray like her mother's not long I remember it long would be matted gnarled knotted, blonde how hands laid at abdomen how crossed in one another or resting at the sides how nails painted color or bitten raw to tips or holding bibles feet on couch reposed socks on off clothing rots slower than flesh coroner on scene. Mold licking at the weakest points, spreading blackness from underside out, like burning a photograph. The last one. Gangrenous wounds, we will have to amputate ourselves. Landlord says the fans point out that open window. Landlord says the couch will have to go. The body that was your mother oozed through. Liquefaction, not a word you've ever needed to use. How the neighbors must have knew fumes. Cleanse the image from your mind with soap she used to wash your mouth out the first time you cussed at her. No-name liquid lemon dish detergent. Scour Byzantine fissures of gray matter, of the curse of Eve. Knowledge of shame, of self, of the power of a hunger for home.
0: Wow. Wow. I feel like it was so visceral and emotive. And visually, like you were saying stuff, like you weren't showing me a picture or a painting, but I felt like I saw all these things and felt That's those good. Things so cool.
1: <laughs> That's what I'm I also going like for.
0: Those that are listening to this episode on podcast, which is probably going to be the majority of our people experiencing this, but there's a video version as well. And, and if you get the chance to watch Justine's face while she's reading it, it is so cool because you could tell this comes from deep within.
1: It does. Yeah. That piece is about my mom who is now gone, but unfortunately passed away during COVID. And for obvious reasons, we had absolutely no access to her. And for obvious reasons, she died on her own and wasn't found for quite some time because no one was allowed to see anyone during COVID. And so not having been close to my mom in a long time, I needed to kind of process these weird emotions that came with knowing that that's a possibility for everybody is a weird thought, but I got it out.
0: So when you write these poems and and maybe when you started to where you are now, has it always been quite personal and about your personal identity or what's what's maybe been the trajectory of your kind of writing experience?
1: I think for sure it's been personal. I know even really early on in life as a young person, I'd say around grade six, I wrote a poem. It was called A Token Child, and it was about being raised by my mom, who was an alcoholic. And an addict. And I had a teacher that was incredibly interested in this poetry and really pushed me forward into just developing my craft, even as like a little 11-year-old kid, but also challenged me to read the poems out loud to a bunch of kids that had like no idea where I was coming from. And that maybe was the right thing to do, but maybe wasn't. I'm really not sure. But it definitely changed the way that... I looked at things because it made me realize that even though others don't necessarily experience life the way that I do, my story can
0: have value even to those folks as well. When do you write? Like, what does that look like in the rhythm of your life now? You said you got a lot of things going on. You're eating. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> You're a mom.
1: I think a lot of it comes to me in sort of bits and pieces and is still quite focused on the harder days. I know. More recently, I've been writing to process losses in our community. I work with Indigenous and Métis youth. And so like all communities across British Columbia, we face losses frequently. And a lot of the writing is still very much focused in that painful place. I think I it comes to me as it comes and I just accept that it's a moment I have to write it down. If I don't, I will absolutely forget it. So I just usually whip out my phone pull out the notes app and start writing that way and then later on I'll sit down with everything that I have and just develop it to, into more fleshed out pieces that are hopefully a little bit better than when they started
0: and being Métis, speaking of which, mm-hmm. how does that relate to the, the poetry that you do and where, where do you maybe see a connection?
1: Well I think often we forget how perhaps not metis folks but other folks forget, the many ways in which Métis folks are marginalized. I think it's easy for a person like myself. I'm quite white passing. It's a lot easier for me to just exist in the world.
0: Explain that term, white passing, just before.
1: I think for me, white passing means that if you saw me out in the world, you might not assume I had any indigenous ancestry.
0: Okay. Okay. Yeah. Just for a term that people may not have heard that before. That's, That's
1: what that term means for me. Whereas I think there are many, many Métis folks that have, you know, a darker complexion or even darker hair and just read to the public as Indigenous or simply not white, which is enough in our society, unfortunately. So for me, it's been a weird dance of existing in white spaces where people are often horribly racist and in Indigenous spaces where... You know, I'm definitely becoming more comfortable in Indigenous spaces, but I've absolutely had Indigenous folks say right to me, like, I thought y'all just wanted to be like us, you know, like the Métis just want to be like us. And we often forget that, you know, in the umbrella term, if we give any credence to the umbrella term that Canada has used for Indigenous people, like Métis is in there and we're Indigenous. And so it's certainly not about being like anyone, but how being Métis plays into the poems. I think there's a lot of these poems that are about the experience of being specifically Métis. Like there's a poem I have called Native Aunties, and it's about how, you know, at your Native auntie's house, it's just different than it is at, you know, your white auntie's house. And there's these other pieces around experiences that aren't Well, perhaps they're mainstream, but I never viewed them as mainstream, you know, experiences of poverty, experiencing family members that are targeted because of their race, experiencing having a mom that's, you know, light skinned enough to not understand the struggles of her own sons who are walking around appearing Indigenous at all times. So I think there's a lot about being Métis that's in this book but they're just everyday
0: experiences for me. Could you share another poem for us?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Love that. Maybe I'll read Native aunties. That seems like a, could be a good segue. Everything smells of sage at your Native aunties. Cat circles at your feet while she tells you stories of Sundance. Makes a feast of KED and tomato soup so you get those veggies in. Shows you how to tie tobacco. Says you gotta buy it now though, we all do, but get it in a pouch. She tried to teach you how to bead, but at that age, it didn't matter. Now you wish you'd listen to any damn thing. Spiders crawl at your native aunties, where it becomes painfully apparent that you have not yet felt the song pour from your hands to douse a drum, where the rattle yet lies still as there was no one to teach you how to shake it. Even your auntie didn't know that. You learned so much, but you know so little where the cedar hangs above every door, evergreen, where the renovations are always half done, where the carpet has spots that'll never come out, where you learn you can curl your native hair with lots of bobby pins, but it kind of comes out all crimpy from the bumps. At your native aunties, you might accidentally walk into the neighbor's house because they all look the same from the front. No one will say a word, though. It's no big deal around here. You and your cousins will stay up late with the grown-ups crouched under blankets on the floor, and they'll cover your eyes when the movie gets too scary. Every piece of fabric smells like dust. And there are blankets everywhere. Towels are few and far between. There's a mall by your native aunties that seems so big, even though you know now what a dive it was, where you'd steal from your older cousin only to toss it back into her bag when she wasn't looking. Antlers hang at your native aunties. You can put damn near anything in that freezer. It's always got enough room for a hunt. She'll show you pictures of the last moose they cleaned. She'll warn you it's gory. At your native aunties, the backyard is small but full of toys for kids that are too young to be her own. She takes you to yard sales so she can fill her kitchen with kitsch. She somehow always manages to pull off. Everything is stacked against the walls at your native aunties, and there's books, books, books. One thing about being at your native aunties is it's always so comfortable, no matter how full or cramped or cluttered, and it sure makes your white auntie seem like a sterile Your native auntie is always ready to tell you to leave that boy or the next. She ain't playing with these men. She owns all her own No matter how bad it gets for your native auntie, she is strong. She holds her head up. She can face her kids knowing she never had a moment of anger for them. Not once. Your auntie teaches you the protocols for elders and moon time. Your auntie shows you how to smudge without saying a word. Your auntie lays a feast out for the dead we miss, cuts hair when we mourn. Your auntie paints polar bears and loons, sees it all different. Your native auntie carries the teachings for the whole family. All the kids who don't care yet. But who will?
0: That was incredible, incredible. So uh, now you mentioned book coming out. Is this one yes. of the poems that will be in this? Tell me about this book when is it coming out? What's in Absolutely. it? What can we expect? Yeah
1: um, the book is coming out in October. It's called Trailer Park Shakes. It's being put out by Brick books, so I'm super happy to have a very long-standing Canadian publisher to be behind this book. Um, I've also managed to acquire the artwork of Kaya Heitland, who is well known in the Métis community and in MNBC. But um, it was really important to me that Métis folks see themselves reflected in all the aspects of this work. And having Kaya on board was, is just an incredible opportunity. And I'm super humbled and grateful to have her artwork be part of it so yeah I think it will come out you know early October we'll do like an official release maybe later in October closer to the 20th or so and yeah just go from there
0: very exciting very exciting what what does it mean to be like like professionally and kind of like uh, you know you can publish like that and get be in bookstores and it'll be you know on Amazon and all those great places
1: I don't know what it means yet. You know, I'm 37. It's the first time a book of mine's ever been kind of traditionally published. And so I'm not really sure what it means yet. It feels weird a little, only because the poetry is quite vulnerable. There's a lot of personal details. There's, Like I said, it's very based in traumatic happenings. And so I've wrestled a lot with this idea of Do I want to present this to the world and have them feel like they've gained some kind of expertise from this vicarious experience? Or do I want to make sure that it comes out for the folks that actually have lived a similar life and could really use work that lets them know they're not alone? I know that that part is important to me to make sure that others don't feel alone. But I've also come to terms with the idea that I'm not obligated to carry on extensive conversations outside of the work you know the the poems are what they are and I don't need to expand on the experiences that are detailed in them I don't think that's my perspective anyway I'm sure that I'll be asked to many many times but I don't know that I will I just not I'm not feeling obligated to do that at all I just want the work to kind of speak for
0: itself That's incredible Now Have you ever heard of book clubs ever using a book of poetry as their book club book?
1: I don't know if I have, to be honest, which is a real shame. (laughs) I know, like, I don't know. Yeah. I feel like it wouldn't be super conducive to a book club only because most times you can read a book of poetry, like, pretty quickly. Um, They're easy to devour, whereas, you know, novels are not quite as easy to. So, yeah, I'm not sure if I've ever heard of that before. It's a good question. We need to start a poetry book club.
0: Yeah. Or speaking of books, there's a book that came out recently by Douglas Copeland called Binge. And and it was all about like, it was was written in the format like you'd binge a TV series or a TV show on Netflix. And so he wrote a book in that format. But I wonder if poetry, if you really like eat it slowly and consume it, like you don't binge it, but you just read it slowly. And then there's a section in the back of your book that's like, here are you know, seven discussion questions for book clubs that are choosing to use this book as a book club book.
1: That's an interesting idea. I like it very much. Um, As a, you know, early childhood nerd that was absolutely in book clubs, I totally use those questions in the back of the book. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think yeah. it'd be cool. And I don't, it's just one extra page for the publisher. I'm sure they do it. I'm sure. Right? They'd be excited. Maybe. Maybe. And, yeah. I can
1: ask. <laughs>
0: yeah. I know my wife's in a book club, and it's great. She discovers new books every month because they they pick a new book every month, and then it's great for those that purchase books. Some get it on their e reader, and but those that purchase books, it's a great kind of bulk experience of buying every month. She actually had the pleasure of Helen Knott. They read her book, and she zoom bombed because they were doing their book club on Zoom. Oh my god! And gosh. the person who organized it asked Helen to just join in at, on the book at the end of the book club evening. And it was incredible. So they got to like talk to her and ask her questions and meet this that's so the, fun. the author. Yeah.
1: <laughs> awesome. And I would do that. I, I would know. Totally that's what I'm imagining you
0: doing that. And and it would be so great because it would be this like very suburbia Zoom book club thing, maybe. And like maybe, you know, in Spruce Grove, just outside of Edmonton, they've, you know, there these seven, you know, people have read your book. And all of a sudden you show up, they're like, hey, it's me, the author. <laughs> And you could read one so of your fun. poems for them. That would be so cool. Our new piece so you're working fun. on. Yeah. yeah. Yes. <laughs> so as an artist, like like we, we think of like sculptors, right? It's like I've done these. I don't know how many poems you have coming out in your book. How many in total will be there in the published?
1: I don't version? know. I'd have to like go and count through the manuscript.
0: Like 30 maybe?
1: Probably somewhere in there. I know I made some substantial cuts because I just really mm-hmm. wanted it to be. What I wanted was for the poetry to be. High impact and not yeah. to have any sort of weaker pieces in there, if yeah. you will. Yeah.
0: So would you say sometimes, and you know, like a friend comes over or you're you're out, would you say like well, like a sculptor would have a work in progress, like they've been chiseling a hammer, working away in a, a piece? Do you ever have just poems in progress that are kind of like half baked or you know, yes. half written?
1: Okay. <laughs> absolutely. Or you've, or
0: you've written it and it and you've yet to pull away the stuff like a, like a pull yes. away the marble from the the true David that's inside.
1: Yes, I have got okay. um, absolutely. And I've got just little snippets here and there that I've written down, like just a combination of words that I like will just sit in a document somewhere for long periods of time waiting for me to do something with it. And I yeah. do eventually. I think um, I've got a couple of those kind of on the go right now. And that's often how things come to me is just this line here or there. And there are definitely times where I can sit down and flush out a bunch of work. Um, But most of the time, it is just little lines here and there that I keep in my back pocket and then wait to turn into something magical. Yeah, I think there's, like I said, there's a bit of that just kind of sitting on my computer right now and in my notes app on my phone. You know, there's poems that I think I just have a file just called New Stuff and that's the stuff that needs to be like worked out. It's not quite there, but it could be something cool. So,
0: have you had your poems you know, or your spoken word, like the, how you, when you speak out a poem, have you had it put to music yet or beats?
1: I have not. And that's a really great idea. I just don't know what it's funny because as a person that, you know, has written lyrics in the past, I often did that based on the music that I heard, not the opposite way where I would like write lyrics and then we'd write a song around it. So that's an interesting idea. And I, I definitely know folks have done it. I know, you know, like Janet Rogers did it, I think with Chris Bowes and there's lots of really interesting things that I think I could do with it. But as someone that's kind of like just starting out, (laughs) I've, I've not put that kind of thought into the presentation but I mean I guess I better start like it's kind of coming up so
0: you could do like people have gotten used to scanning QR codes because of like restaurants needing to Mm -hmm. do it for menus you could have like two little QR codes at the end of your book one takes you to like a you just standing in like a a cool room where you just read one or two of your poems like you get to see you and hear you and the other Mm -hmm. can be just the audio like Radiohead put out an album one time. They broke out all the chunks of their album and people could tweak and adjust and play around with their music.
1: Someone could like add
0: music to it. Yeah, I love that.
1: I also have like a whole book I want to do that's actually just QR codes. And as you scan them, you'll be brought to a combination of poetry and art. So it'll be like collage work. Yeah. But I'm not going to talk too much about that.
0: (laughs) That's... that yeah, is keep amazing. keep your ideas up here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> One of them could be like, put your address here and you mail them something.
1: That would It'd be, be like exciting. Because
0: then it's like a full visceral experience.
1: That's true. The, yeah. the digital world and the real world kind of like colliding. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like, that's really cool.
1: I just find the QR code is the perfect image for recognizing how far removed from reality we can become.
0: It really is like
1: this image of like, well, what is this? First of all, Mm -hmm. it's not even a thing, but it's a code, but it's, it brings you someplace real, right? It's such a strange idea to me that I kind of love it as poetry.
0: Yeah. There is a, uh, a well-known Canadian marketing kind of speaker, author, uh, podcaster. One of his first books was called QR codes, kill kittens. Because he was back in there, he was so upset that people were like QR codes are the future. These are amazing, but they use them in such weird ways. But now they've become very useful for restaurants because it gets you directly to the the menu and it makes sense if you have like private stuff. You don't want to like fully, you know, because people don't want to type in a full domain name. Like they might have big thumbs right? like me and get. <laughs> yeah. I still struggle to type on my iPhone, so I, I am a fan of QR codes in restaurants.
1: Yeah, I've not like I said, I'm not. I- I don't use them often, but I do find them just a very interesting curiosity of our time.
0: I could see a collab. So the, the intro music and the outro music is supplied by a Metis artist who also works. Hopefully, in, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Mate she works in the Metis headquarters office, day job office, nighttime DJ. So very uh cool. again, she, it would be a cool to see a, a fun collab there one day.
1: Awesome. That's good to know. <laughs>
0: Destine, thank you for being here. This has been amazing. Could you close us off maybe with one more poem? For sure. And a mic drop it for the show. Let
1: me see. I might close it off with a shorter one, but it's super meaningful to me. And it was one of the inspirations for the artwork, for the work, the whole book. So it's even named in Machief, So you can't argue with that. It's called Corne, which is crow. I'm not good at rolling my R's yet. I keep getting told you got to roll the R. So Corne. Uh, it means crow. A smeared red thumbprint a finger paint on a freeway canvas. Black feathers in the wind wave anarchy and then death. Friends gather and cry out. A tumultuous resting place. I pick that raven up. Its blood run furrows in the etchings of my skin and dripped a dotted line to where X marked the spot no gravestone, just a brown paper towel to give closure, to a murder of crows weeping at a crime scene, a Congress that bore witness to the massacre and hoped the neighbors didn't see.
0: Justine, thank you for being here.
1: Marcy, it's been a pleasure.
0: Well, listeners, viewers, keep an eye out for October when this book is released. Go to your local bookstore, small... That's right. (laughs) ...family-owned bookstore, your... Trailer maybe you Shakes. Go, yeah, maybe go over
1: to just TNT on Glowa. Do the plug. You gotta do the plug.
0: Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, and and maybe you'll find it on your Kindle, your Kobo, your maybe maybe you'll find someone selling them photocopied versions on the streets, but maybe don't buy them. Maybe <laughs> it'll
1: be me, them, probably. Just yeah, kidding.
0: <laughs> but again, adding some poetry t- to your routine to your life adds a lot of great flavor and fun. And it really can affect you mentally, emotionally, physically. I think in a lot of ways, it's a pretty powerful form of art. And uh, Justine, thank you for sharing a few selections today with us and sharing how, uh, how they came about.
1: Thanks, Darian.
0: This has been the Métis Speaker Series. Our amazing guest, Justine. And we look forward to seeing you next time on the series. This has been the Métis Speaker Series podcast. I'm Darian Kovacs. Thanks to Métis Nation BC for making this possible with funding provided by the Civil Forfeiture Office's Indigenous Healing Stream. You can listen to all of our episodes, learn more about the podcast, and sign up to the Métis Nation of BC newsletter to stay up to date on Métis news at Series.ca. You can find out more about the music we're playing by Love Life by visiting SoundCloud at soundcloud.com love life official, L-U-V-L-Y-F official and link in the show notes for your convenience. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast listening device. See you again soon. Mina Kawapa mitten Thank you, Marcy, for listening.